Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello and welcome to The Glojo. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and this week on The Glojo Podcast, I am interviewing the fabulous Tom Cronin. Tom is someone I met about 10 years ago, and even back then, I knew this man was up to something special and that he was going to leave a huge imprint and make waves on this planet. And that is exactly what he's been doing over the past 10 years. And let's be honest, before I met him as well, but since I've known him, it's been so incredible to see him on his journey and everything that he's brought to life. Tom is a transformational leader in mindfulness and meditation. He's the founder of the Stillness Project. And the Stillness Project is a global movement to inspire 1 billion, yes, that's B, billion with a B because Tom's a badass, to inspire 1 billion people to sit in stillness daily. And he's really passionate about helping people reduce stress and chaos in their lives. And let's be honest, who doesn't need that? Being a human and living in this modern world and going through everything that we've gone through collectively and individually over the last year and a half, it's just wild. So I think more now than ever, the work that Tom is doing is so important. And that's why I'm so excited to share the incredible conversation we had today. Tom shares a bit of his personal story as well. Um, I'll give you not a full spoiler alert, but he was in the finance industry and like stock markets, hitting the markets for 26 years. And it was in this time when he had a personal crisis and he found meditation and meditation really helped him transform his world, both personally and professionally. Now that's what he helps people do through the Stillness Project, which there's online courses there. He's the author of six books. He holds global retreats. And most recently, he can add movie producer to his resume because Tom, along with some other incredible leaders, has recently released The Portal. Now, The Portal is there's the book and then there's also a film. And I had the opportunity to watch The Portal film and it's really, really informative. It's really interesting and it documents these different people as they go through their life and the effects of meditation. And so I'm really excited for this conversation today. We talk about the different styles of meditation. In particular, we talk about transcending meditation quite a bit. We talk about the benefits of meditation. We talk about the common misperceptions. Now, if you're like me, you're someone who knows meditating makes them feel so good, but you don't do it on a regular basis. Why the heck is that? Maybe you do have a solid meditation practice. If so, I think you'll really enjoy this interview because it's going to affirm that you are doing the right thing and why you're doing your daily meditation practice. 
And if you're new to meditation or you've tried it a couple times or you've heard a lot about it, but you haven't tried it yet, then I'm extra excited for you to listen to this interview today because I hope this is a new tool that you can test out and give it a whirl and it can be a new tool for your tool belt. And that's what we're all about here at the Globe Joe is really figuring out what works for us as individuals and being able to incorporate these healthy routines into our daily, daily lives or weekly or monthly, you know. So anyways, without further ado, let's get started. I will see you in the Glojo. Enjoy. All right, Tom, welcome to the Glojo. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Before this, I did take a little bit of time. I meditated and I tuned in, not for long because it was a busy day, but I'm like, you know, what's that saying? If you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, then you need to meditate for an hour. <laughs> and that's how that's how it felt today. So I'm really excited to talk to you about meditation and your new movie that's out, The Portal. And before we get started, I know I already introduced you in the intro to the show, but I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and share a little bit more about yourself. I know you were in finance for 26 years. That's when you got into meditation. You're experiencing probably like the daily stress or maybe amplified because the finance industry is pretty crazy, but you found meditation then and it made a profound impact in your life. And and you've been on this wonderful journey and we met about 10 years ago and you were rocking the meditation back then. And yeah, I'd love to have you share more about yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did come across meditation when I was in finance. So if anyone's listening that's seen Wolf of Wall Street, you kind of picture what my life was like in the early stages of my career. I started in, in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was it really was like that. It was in a really intense uh, and crazy time. It was a very unchecked, unregulated. There was no HR, human resources departments to sort of keep things on the straight and narrow. So it was, it was pretty uh, out of control and crazy times, which was fun and exciting. You know, I was only sort of 19 when I started, and I got very much swept into that and it wasn't before long because of the, the amount of stress in the job that when, when we're stressed, we have a very different biochemical makeup in us. We're producing a lot of cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, which is really the sympathetic nervous system response. And because we have that bioche- those biochemicals in our body, we don't have a lot of melatonin, serotonin, oxytocin. Those two don't coexist. And so, when we have cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, we deplete our supplies of oxytocin and serotonin, the biochemicals for happiness and love. And so I was in this very sort of adrenaline-fueled sort of existence, which was great when you're on this crazy trading room floor, but it starts to deteriorate your ability to be happy and loving and joyful. And what happens mm-hmm. is you're looking for ways, you don't realize this is happening, of course, you just sort of swept into this sort of current of existence and then before long, you're finding that you're craving sensations or experiences to try to get back some level of fulfillment because you're depleted of these happy chemicals. And so this is when the addiction starts to develop. And for me, you know, the whole rave culture, nightclub culture, drugs, mm-hmm. and everything that goes with that, which is a lot of other things, started to become my sort of, my sort of key focus as you try and reach those dizzy heights time and time again and then come down into these horrible sort of lows. And this is when we start to develop what we've got in our society now is this bipolarized culture. We talk about labeling people with bipolarism or calling them bipolar, but really they're just trapped in this peak and trough experience of trying to get back to a high and then having this crashing low. 
and I've done some coaching with people with bipolar and we've managed to regulate their experience and get them out of that huge peak and trough experience and it's definitely something that meditation did for me. It really was phenomenal. I had a massive meltdown in my late 20s where the whole thing, my whole nervous system basically collapsed in on itself. It was really struggling with the demands I was putting it through. And it was in that time that I found meditation and it was really fascinating what happened was it started to regulate with this beautiful consistency of trickling into the body serotonin and oxytocin and shutting off this huge pump of cortisol adrenaline that was pushing through my veins. And so I got out of this huge peak and trough type dynamic Mm -hmm. and had a lot more stability come through my existence. So yeah, that was really, it was blew me away when I came across that. It was like, holy moly, like this was just a game changer. And that's when I really got quite passionate about it. I did a lot of study and a lot of meditating and a lot of uh, research into the mind and spirituality and Eastern philosophy. And eventually, you know, when we met, I would uh, have started to develop the Stillness Project and start to get this out to the world because I guess to round this off, one of the things that just blew me away was that why is the world not doing this? Like I realized after doing my research and studying these ancient Vedic practices that they've been around for 10,000 years almost, you know, five to 10,000 years. And yet 99.99% of the world's population weren't aware of it or weren't using it back then. And so I set about to do something about that and start to bring it into the mainstream. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's it's really incredible to hear where you started and what you experienced and how that high, like you said, those peaks and the valleys and the highs and the lows, how it impacts us actually at a chemical level. And so I know for myself personally, it was about a year and a half ago, I had basically a nervous system meltdown. And I was definitely pushing myself. I was not listening to those whispers inside. And I was just running like high cortisol, high stress. And I feel like looking back, it wasn't that long ago. I'm like, but you know better. You had these tools. You had the awareness that these practices existed. And so I know for me now, I've returned to a lot more of the just kind of, I don't want to say boring, but like the basics, because I find that so often we're, we're so external driven versus just going internal. And I know at least in North America, we live in a society where it's quick fix based very much like reaching for, well, this is going to make me feel better. This is going to get me this result. And so in your experience, when you're coaching with people and you're working with people and spreading the news about meditation, what is the adoption like for people? Is it something that you experience that immediate like hit right away and people, or does it usually take a little bit of time? And yeah, just what is the experience of people who are new to meditation and learning about this tool? Yeah, look, I mean, I teach a particular style of meditation. So firstly, we've got to uh, recognize that not all meditations are the same. Some meditations are going to be a little bit more hard work, not going to have Mm -hmm. the same tangible results and benefits. Nothing wrong with them. It's just that they don't have the same quantifiable experience that you're going to get when you have the practice. When I run my weekend workshops, I would suggest all of them, I'd be very rare that there will be someone on that weekend workshop that won't have some wow experience, not just in the meditation, which is not that we want to be craving a wow experience in meditation, but a lot of them come out of the meditations going, wow, like that was incredible. But it's more over just the two days, they start to notice some tangible differences in how they feel. And that's just from simply 
learning firstly a technique that takes them quite deep and that's the the transcendental or vedic meditation or the deep meditation that i teach but also having a lot of knowledge around it you know on that in that workshop i give a fair bit of knowledge and in my online program there's a fair bit of knowledge about the practice itself out there there's a lot of people just kind of winging it sitting down closing the eyes and trying to clear their mind Mm -hmm. i find having supporting evidence and supporting knowledge and information with the practice goes a long way to deepen their experience and give them a much more impacting result out of it. And so that was actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about different types of meditation. So I know that you teach TM and that's what the Stillness Project is based in. What other different types of meditation are there out there? And what are the common misconceptions about meditation? Because I want to acknowledge that a lot of people listening might know about meditation, but a lot of people might not. They've heard about it, but they're not quite sure. And I know I was asking some friends questions in preparation for this. Like, what questions do you have? And so many people think they're doing it wrong. Like, I don't know how to meditate. I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) So I know there was a few questions in there. Let's jam on that because it seems simple, but it's kind of not to people. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is quite detailed and it is, I wouldn't say complex, mm-hmm. but there's certainly layers to it and different techniques and different sensations. I, I think, you know, the starting point is why do we want to meditate? And a lot of people say, oh, I want to still my mind. And then I'd say, well, why do you want to still your mind? Oh, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are starting probably for the wrong reason. Ultimately, we want to be doing it because we want to make our life better. Ultimately, that's why we want to be doing it, to make our life better. Um, so, so rather than getting attached to the outcome in the meditation as to, oh, I didn't meditate very well, I didn't still my mind. It's like, is it over the long haul making your life better? And I put meditation down into four categories. I teach a, what's called a transcending style meditation. And to transcend means to go beyond your physical, mental and emotional experience of who you are. That's your identity and to experience a deep unboundedness. And there's two particular reasons why we want to transcend in our meditation. The first one is when we transcend, and that is when the mind has found the bliss of pure consciousness, that is where it's no longer thinking, then physiologically, so the mind is now still because it's satiated in the bliss of pure consciousness. When the mind is in that space and it's residing in stillness because it's satisfied with the chemicals, the biochemicals of bliss, then the physiological level of rest is quite significant, much, much deeper than sleep. And then the natural parasympathetic nervous system in the body, that's the healing mechanism within the system, starts to optimize and restore balance. And so for me, you know, I cured myself of anxiety, depression, insomnia, panic attacks, agoraphobia, constant viruses popping up in my body uh, as my immune system was so depleted. I cured myself of all of that simply by removing the constant fluctuations of the mind, putting the mind into stillness, which then in response to that put my physiology into deep rest and then my body started to, through its own intelligence system, Mm -hmm. do what it does really well and to optimise. And that's what I was really blown away by was firstly on that level the incredible healing process that the body goes through when we get a still mind. It's phenomenal and most of the world's problems can be healed by stilling the mind. It's quite amazing. And even Dr. Bruce Lipton from Stanford University Medical yeah. School says that 95% of all sickness is a result of stress. So if we want to remove 95% of the world's sickness, then we simply just have to address the stress issue, which is an wow. interesting process. 
So the second reason why we want to transcend is because when the mind dips into that conscious awareness of non-thinking, but being awake, and it's a, a phenomenal space to be in where the mind is not thinking, but it's awake. And the expansiveness of that, where you're just in a presence and an awareness of being in existence, but no longer thinking about the future things, your past things, your identity, your story, your drama, your history. There's an incredible liberation from the coding and indoctrination that's gone on in your mind. And what prevails through that spaciousness is this remarkable immersion into just the body of wisdom itself. Wisdom lies in that space. So you start to, we call it the Sangita, which is the knower knowing the known. You become to get out of the perceived idea of who you are and access this mm -hmm. incredible field of just knowingness. It's really beautiful. So those are the two reasons why I find transcending meditations really critical. Outside that, you've got other meditations like concentration where you'll be focusing on one thing and trying to focus and trying to focus and trying mm -hmm. to force the mind to be still like the breath or a candle or a third eye. We've got gratitude meditations or yeah. contemplation meditations where we'll be acknowledging gratitude and the things in your life and your chakras or it could be visualizing something. And they're beautiful meditations and still very relevant. I, I do contemplative meditations as well as my transcending. The thing with contemplative meditation is that the mind is still active. So we're still in the thinking process and we're still in the mm -hmm. duality of you, the thinker, and the thoughts that you're thinking about. So that's a, a dualistic experience where the identity and the ego still are present in that experience. Mm -hmm. And then we've got things like chanting meditations where we can do chants and satsang and things like that. Ooh, that's so interesting. So going back to what you said about transcending, transcending, I usually say transcendental, yeah, sure. but um, transcendental okay, is the brand. Transcendental meditation is the trademark brand. Right. Transcending is the process. Oh, see, it's like Kleenex. They did a good job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's a, you know, you've created a good brand when. <laughs> and so with transcending meditation, what was going through my mind when you were sharing is that who we are today is this sum of all of our experiences and these beliefs. And a lot of the beliefs have been formed over the years for certain situations or under certain scenarios that aren't necessarily helping us today. So when we can actually remove ourselves from the past and remove ourselves from worrying about what's going to happen in the future and just be present, we're more connected with who we like with our true self without all of the attachments. And then from there, we have space to create, but creating something from our truth. Is that kind of, is that true? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's beautifully described. There's, there's absolute yeah. truth. When we say absolute truth or fundamental truth, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the only thing that's real. Okay. Um, mm. And that absolute truth is this moment and your relationship with this moment or the state you're in, in this moment. Th when we're thinking about the past, when we're thinking about the future, when those dynamics are affecting our current experience of the now, then we're living in a fantasy world that's not absolute truth. Mm. It's subjective truth in, in that it's affected and there's a relationship between some past experience which is not happening right now, so it's not absolute. Uh, it's just simply a memory. It's not here in this moment. And the future, which is also not happening, that's a distortion of this current experience. So if we're having anxiety, we're distorted by some fantasy about what we might be thinking about in the future or we might be having anger which is responding to some past experience that happened that's not happening right now as well 
So there's this huge hijacking and distortion that happens with our absolute truth, which is what is happening here right now. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking it's definitely a practice to be more present and to be more mindful. But when you were saying that, I'm like, wow, I've lived most of my life in the non-truth or in the illusion of think, yeah, very subjective and thinking about what's happened in the past and what will, I'll future trip a lot, (laughs) what will happen. And it's not productive. It's counterproductive and and it does end up producing that anxiety and that stress. So I know that your mission is to inspire 1 billion people to meditate. And there was this incredible quote that was at the beginning of the Portal movie. And I wrote it down here because I was like, oh man, this is so powerful. So the quote says, since wars begin in the minds of men, it is in the minds of men that the defenses of peace must be constructed. And this is from 1945. So we've known this for a while. And it was from the UNESCO Constitution. Yeah, I I think your mission is very much aligned with bringing more peace and actually getting to the root of the problem and the solution. And I'd love to hear more about your your mission. You know, it's fascinating. You know, we know how to live a good life. We know how to live healthily. We know how to live happily. As you said, that was around 1945. But this wisdom, this knowledge has been around for, this is what blew me away, it was around for 5,000 years or more, 10,000 yeah. years. And so there's a, a degree of what we call ignorance, ignoring what is a path to joy, a path to love, a path to peace. And, you know, a lot of my motivation when I went from abject, abject misery and suffering to mm-hmm. decreasing levels of suffering and increasing levels of happiness and joy, it doesn't mean we're removed from stress and challenges. You know, there's, it's not like even today I've been meditating for 25 years. I still have some challenges and you still have to deal with things. But you get better at being better. And you become a better person, you live a better life. It's just this is evolving process of becoming better and living a better life. I just saw so much suffering in the world that didn't need to be there. A lot of it was very preventable. Like you said, I've lived a lot of my life in the future and the past. And so as I did as well, all of my anxiety was this worry about the future. And some people right. tend to regress and remember a lot about the past. And some people tend to gravitate to the future there's two different types and most people Mm -hmm. are one more than the other I I don't really I got a little bit of regression happening where I remember bad things that I've done and there'll be some guilt and shame come through Uh, and then there'll be this projection into the future and worry about what might happen that was a big thing that I've lived with in my life so meditation helped liberate me from that world and the beauty was oh how much simpler my life is when I'm just simply not in those two places of past and future and how undramatic, you've mentioned dramatic, I think, or something about drama before. We're so conditioned because all the movies we watch have a lot of drama. Even when we were making our film The Portal, we had some great advisors and mentors that have done a lot in the film industry here in Australia and they kept really inspiring us to make sure that we could capture some drama in the film, in storytelling, because we're programmed to create drama we're programmed to want yeah. to watch drama, but actually when we live our lives, they should be very undramatic. I did a great conference not long ago, and in that conference they said your personal life and your business should be undramatic. They should be stable wow. and boring. Mm-hmm. Not boring as in, oh, so- my God, I want to get out of this, but boring as in 
it's just stable and nice and steady and consistent and it just mm-hmm. progresses and there's nothing to peak and trophy in it. But what we tend to do yeah. is when we get those types of experiences in our business and personal life, we tend to try to find sabotaging ways to bring more drama into it. And he said, look, in this conference, I said, if you want drama, go do skydiving, go and yeah. do get in a race car and race around the track or I don't know, do find some other way to create drama, but don't do it in your relationship or in your business. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Uh, I've, uh, I'm being reminded of this Instagram post that I saw and it's a person that I follow. And she said, it's actually healthy if the relationship is a little boring. Mm. Like, do you want to be with a boring, stable, reliable partner? Or do you want to be with someone who you're not, you're never sure what's going to happen and you're never going to share what this and that. I'm like, oh man, I get so I bored. I feel like I get bored so easily. No, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's really, yeah, we, I think we are wired to seek the drama or want to experience this. And a lot of it might go back to what you talked about right to begin with. And that's those, like the chemical nature of addiction and of stress and what we experience. And when we're, I'm being reminded of Dr. Joe Dispenza. And we just have these neural grooves and these neural pathways in our minds. And when you have the the one going of like drama or addiction, depression, whatever it is, that's the route that's easiest to follow. So we're going to continue to go down that way instead of carving out those new neural pathways in our minds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's hard to break free of the static known and the recurring known and the thing that we know most and or the thing that we're patterned to do and programmed to do. So this is where meditation plays a big part because when we transcend, this is why transcending meditations are yeah. really important. It allows us to get out of the code of our mind, access a field of knowingness, and from that conscious awareness, we can then start to watch the thinking mind and start to ask questions from that conscious awareness. Is that pattern of neurological behavior relevant for me anymore is that still serving me we start to have this ability to be proactive in you know creating our life rather than reactive and just an automatic pilot yeah i love that and i'm being reminded of i i feel like there's those phases of when you can have the awareness before you would before you make the decision that's actually a really good that's a good place to be and I think meditation for me at least it's like wait, I can catch myself it's almost like the separate there's like a separation where you can almost see yourself doing something or hear yourself having the conversation and it's in that moment that you can choose differently yeah yeah there's um an interesting thing called uh kriya and karma, so kriya is the that subtle sensation you get before you go into the action it's the preceding awareness and dynamic that happens before an action and karma is the the proceeding energy and dynamic that happens after the action so just say for instance okay i'm gonna rob a bank now there's a kriya inside me that knows and there's an energy around that that knows that this is not the right thing to do like there's just it's clearly defined you know that that's not the right thing to do so Kriya is this little warning signal that tells you good and bad, right and wrong, go this way or go that way. And then karma is what happens after you do it. For instance, if I rob the bank, then the sirens will flash and the police will come, the handcuffs will go on, I'll go to the court and I'll put time in prison. So that's karma that happens after action. So the reverse is in a good way. There's an old lady crossing the road and she can't carry her shopping bags. And my Kriya is saying, 
oh, I think that's a good thing to do. Go move towards the direction of helping that lady carry her bags. And then the karma is the lady gets across the road and she's like, oh, you're such a beautiful human being. Thank you so much. And there's a wonderful energetic exchange that happens after the action. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's really interesting. And it it makes sense. And so another question that came to mind when you were talking, you said, these are practices, meditation and these other ancient Vedic practices have been around for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. Why do you think so few people have known about them or turn to them as the, like as our first resort and, and for a tool for positive mental health and, and health in general. Yeah. I think you touched on it before. I mean, you referenced North America, but it's really, yeah. it really is global now. Our natural tendency to move towards pleasure in the fastest way possible. And the analogy I like to use is, uh, and it's deep in our code, even going all the way back into, you know, us being an animal. If you put you know, you've got a bunch of cows in a paddock. Now, those cows know innately to eat grass and that that grass innately is good for them and it nourishes them. There's a natural instinct to do that. But if I put a sugar block on a table in the middle of that paddock, a big fat sugar block, now those cows will ignore the grass and go towards something that's even more pleasurable. And now they will do that possibly even knowing or not knowing whether it has negative karmic consequences but they will still do it because it's so pleasurable. And so we do this. We'll stay on our phones till two in the morning watching Netflix, knowing that it's not good for us. And we clearly know it's not good for us, but because the Mm -hmm. pleasure is so high, it will supersede and override our sense of intuition about what's right and wrong. And that's what we've created in this world is that we have managed to create extremely pleasurable and charming lives, even though it doesn't seem that way because we've got a lot of polarity that comes with that. But we have Uber, we have Uber Eats, we have Netflix, we have Instagram, you know, we've got iPhones, we've got Mac Airs, and we've got incredibly pleasurable lives to some degree, more than we've ever had in the last 5,000 years of existence. We only have to go back 500 years and look at what life was like then, no hot water, no running fresh, clean water coming out of our tap, no pressing buttons to take our toilet stuff away and no nice, cozy, warm beds. It was just a difficult time then, but we've now created an incredibly charming life. And so having these sadhanas, these practices, they get kind of pushed aside and superseded by much more pleasurable activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think you might've answered the next question that I was going to ask you. And this was, why do we start meditating or start these practices that truly nourish us and make us feel really actually fulfilled? Why do we start them and then stop? Is it because it's this pleasurable life that we've, it's convenience, really everything, it's comfort and convenience. And, but I wonder, is there something else there? Because I know I'm like, do this. It's good Mm -hmm. for you. You feel good when you do it and I'll be consistent for a bit. And then I fall off. Yeah. Uh, It's a great question. We start the music because we're trying to remove pain so so we can get more pleasure again. And (laughs) why we don't prioritize them is because we we're so deeply programmed into prioritizing certainly the quest for pleasure but action we prioritize and determine our fulfillment based upon tasks that are being fulfilled and getting things Mm -hmm. done and acquiring things and having experiences and so our deep programming code is that my identity and my existence and my determination for success is found in action 
in achieving results. If I get 20 emails done instead of a meditation, then my code says that's more productive. Therefore, if it's more productive, then that must be better for me. And we have to reposition our values. We have to reevaluate our life. And this was a big shift for me because when the teacher said, what we recommend is two meditations, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. I'm like, you've got to be joking. Like I'm a busy person. I, I basically model my life on being busy, which is what is deep in my family. And it sounds like right. you had that existence as well. Yeah. Right. Totally. And so I had to reassess my values because I was busy and I was incredibly productive, but I was miserable. And I put mm-hmm. doing action as a greater value than my happiness. And this is what society is doing. We're putting activity as a greater priority than our happiness. And if we were to reassess our values and go, well, happiness and joy and calmness and well-being is of greater priority than getting shit done, then I could easily reassess my day's allocation of time and put something like meditation into high priority. So for me, my reweighting of my, you know, value of life into joy and happiness and health and well-being completely changed the way I live my life. Yeah. And so when you were saying that, I'm like, it feels good. Like I'm instantly more calm. I can feel like when you tune into those values and a value-driven life that's based off of like, you know, happiness and fulfillment and joy and these healthier practices versus doing and the action and really like seeking, like building up our self-worth or thinking we're worthy because we do this or we're worthy because we do that. And so the question I have for you is you're a really smart man. You're a successful entrepreneur. What do you think it is? It's like, and I know I'll, I have this conversation with friends where we are naturally driven. We love working. We like having big goals. We love working towards something. And it's so easy to get stuck and caught in the doing, doing, doing. And so like, what comes to mind with that? If you're doing a lot of things, but it's aligned with this greater vision, like your mission to inspire 1 billion people, what comes to mind? It's interesting dynamic. It's a really fascinating phenomenon that we notice with meditators, because a lot of people Mm. think, I'm just going to add to this. It does depend on the style of meditation. Some meditation techniques do lead to a very renunciant existence. I've got friends of mine that do more of the Buddhist style meditations and they spend six months a year in a monastery and they do very, very little. When they're in Sydney, I see them just walking the streets of the beach. I don't know how they make any money because they don't do anything. Um, Right? I'm always... Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're more of the a different style, more renunciant meditation practices. So we just want to be cautious as to which meditation we're going to choose because the actual style of meditation will lead to a particular lifestyle. Whereas when we look at the transcending style meditations, it's really fascinating what happens is there's this really interesting dynamic where you access this field of intelligence, you access this infinite creative potential that moves through you and it wants to express through you. You become a conduit Mm -hmm. for literally the divine or God or source looking to manifest And so you become less of your egoic desires and needs, more of the divinity and creative potential looking to express itself through you, looking for outlets. And so you become like a messenger of divinity to manifestation. It's quite an interesting phenomenon. And it's like, you know, I just had a few days up away after we launched the film. I said to my family, I'm just going to take a a little bit of time out. I mean, I spent the time a little bit of surfing, a little bit of yoga. 
I was going to do long windows of meditation, but end up just end up wanting to do business and stuff because it was just right. fun, right? And so mm-hmm. you become uh, remarkably dynamic. And I, I think the best way to describe this is through Oprah Winfrey in a quote that she said, a reference to people that do this t- particular style of meditation. Oprah said, it's from that place you create your best work and your best life. So, you know, she's talking about that space of stillness and quietness and not just stillness and quietness that's empty. It's actually the field of intelligence that you're accessing. So uh, that was Oprah's where she really says that this meditation helps her live a better life and be a better person. But Ray Dalio, the world's largest hedge fund manager who manages uh, $180 billion worth of hedge fund money under Bridgewater Associates. I mean, he tweeted once that the key to his success was his meditation practice. So it's a really interesting thing that it, it, once you start meditating, be ready because you're going to become very dynamic and very, very usually um, quite proactive in creating something in the world. Well, I'm going to start doing transcending meditation again. <laughs> You've sold me. I will. I, I did it for a while and then, yeah, got away from it. So I feel like this is really, really my call to get back at it. I've played around with some Wim Hof stuff mm-hmm. yeah, that's recently too. and that's been, yeah, that's been fun and that was calling me, but I'm definitely going to get back on the TM train and give it a whirl. I'll keep you posted. We'll see yeah, what comes through. Uh, but I do, I just want to expand on this whole concept of the space where we create from and the state that we create from. We can create from a state of stress and fear and lack and almost like that, like, I need to do this because, but it's not for the right reasons necessarily versus creating from a space that is aligned, that's abundant, that's full of potential. I just, yeah. (laughs) I, I, I really like at that point, it's beautiful what you're saying to use an analogy here that helps to encapsulate what you've just described. So when I'm in fear and worry and stress, I'm operating from my brain. Okay. That's stuff that's happening in my brain. When I'm in stillness and calm, I'm operating from the field. And the best analogy is this phone of mine. Say if I don't have internet access, this phone has some pretty cool features within the phone itself. So inside the phone, it can take photos it can, there's a calculator, there's a calendar, um, you know, there's, there's some pretty cool features inside the phone. So within this device, there's a limitation to what I can do with it, but it's pretty cool. And that's like inside this vessel here, there's a brain, which is a, the software and the driver for the vehicle. And there's some good capabilities within this structure. However, if I turn this phone on with the internet, what happens is it accesses this infinite supply of of knowledge, information that's not in the phone but it's actually outside the phone. So if this phone is in Bali, if this phone is in Canada, if this phone is in Kenya, the same accessibility to the information that's around the phone is there. The phone just now becomes a conduit for that information. And so that's what our mind is like. Our mind becomes a conduit for the field of intelligence and creative potential that's in the ether. And meditation allows us to open up out of the contracted brain and into the field of mind, which is all knowledge. Mm, that's an incredible analogy. That's an, I've never thought of it like that before. I love it. Like, why just be a, an iPhone yes. without, <laughs> without, without internet? internet? <laughs> right. Switch on the internet. 
Oh my gosh, we all have our own Wi-Fi to that we can we can all plug into our own personal internet. Yeah. Wow, that's a really really powerful analogy. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the portal. So I know from the little bit of research and digging I did, you had this idea nine years ago. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And and now to think of like where we are as humanity at this point in time, I truly, truly believe we're at a precipice and we have the potential to evolve in a positive, productive way or we might fall down. And so I just love to hear more about the portal and why this is such an important, it's a book as well for everyone listening. So there's the portal is the book. And then there's also a movie that was just released. Yeah. You know, there's, there was two parts to the inspiration behind the film. One is uh, definitely just to showcase through storytelling, how powerful meditation Mm -hmm. can be on. uh, And what we wanted to do, we, we took six individual stories and we wanted to show that no matter how severe their crisis was, no matter how extreme their life experience was, there was the ability through that process of stilling the mind and meditating to liberate themselves from that storyline, from that drama, from that impact, and to release the shackles and bondage of that previous existence to bring them into a fresh moment of here and now. So that was the first thing because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, but that's one thing. You haven't been through what I've been through. And so we really took some quite extreme cases that were very diverse, very different backgrounds and showed that meditation can support and heal anyone no matter what. That was the first thing. And secondly was more of the macro perspective that I could see that through my understanding and research into Vedic philosophy and spirituality and Eastern philosophy, mm-hmm this idea of evolution and how evolution works through these sort of three mediums of the creative, destructive and maintenance operator and how evolution is not just a linear process of things always getting better. It's kind of like a, yeah. a bumpy ride that we can have moments of incredible clarity and creativity. Then we can have levels of stagnation where we get attached to a particular status quo and hold on to that for a long period of time and that there is this conundrum when we get attached and hold on to a particular status quo for a long period of time. What we're doing there is we're resisting the process of evolution, which insists that change must happen. Change is inevitable. And there's this, mm-hmm. th- there's, a, there's this uh, resistance to change and there's a, there's a holding on to a status quo because it's just the familiarity. And I think Tim Ferriss once said it was Tim Ferriss. He actually said we, we actually choose unhappiness over change. A lot of the time. Yeah, it's true. And so I could see this macro perspective of like, wow, humanity's been holding on to this egoic, self serving status quo, me being part of it as well, not to dis- exclude me from it, mm-hmm. status quo that it, it's unsustainable. And I could see that this trajectory that we're on was leading us to a major turning point. Now, in, in, in my studies to become a meditation teacher, we, I studied these principles in greater detail and there's this tipping point, or it's more of a fork in the road that we can get to that it, it, we get cues along the way to change. This is called Shiva, the destructive operator, mm-hmm. that's giving yeah. us these <laughs> uncomfortable experiences to trigger us into adapting change and evolving to the next level and evolving to the next level. If we ignore Shiva and ignore Shiva and ignore Shiva, what happens is there's this major crisis moment. It's a fork in the road that makes change uh, choiceless. 
Okay, yeah. choiceless. We, we become choiceless. And in that moment, the choicelessness is you change one of two ways. And it's a relationship, a company, an individual, a country, a civilization. You change in that the whole thing collapses in on itself and it falls apart. Or it evolves to the next level and goes through a quantum leap. And a relationship will do this in that they break down into divorce or evolves to the next level. Or a company will go into bankruptcy like Kodak or they will evolve to the next level. Or a civilization like Easter Island will self-destruct or they will evolve to the next level. And I could see that humanity, because now we're, as Daniel Schmachtenberger says in the film, we're now a global civilization. So self-termination of a civilization like the Mayans, the Aztecs, all empires have collapsed in on themselves at some point the romans the you know all of them uh we're now a global civilization and we're a global empire so one collapse there will mean existential collapse for humanity yeah when he said that in the film i was like holy smokes all empires have collapsed Mm. (laughs) and we're here now and we're the current, I guess you could say we're the current empire and what way, what way is it going to go? You could just see itself by, I mean, I'm sure you get probably similar news about your country that we get. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah there's a lot of things that need to be improved upon for all of us as well as a planet. It's mm-hmm. not to single out one particular country for sure, but this elite, uh, powerful and oppressive model that we have is we think it's normal, but it's, it's not mm-hmm. sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And so I love that you quoted Tim Ferriss um, and that whole, the idea that we often will choose unhappiness over change and it's the discomfort over the unknown. Does meditation help us detach from the need to know, or does it help us become more comfortable in the unknown? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing that's reacting to the unknown is the ego that's forecasting into the future. And if we look at divinity or source or just pure awareness that's in this moment with an intention to create something for the next moment. So, you know, the film was an intention to create something. Now, Millie, I had a lot of stress dealing with the film, so I'm not enlightened. Uh, don't get yeah. me wrong. There were some moments where I was curled up in a ball, rocking backwards and forwards going, why me, God, yeah. why me? <laughs> and so um, it does definitely help you more to be less affected about the unknown because we just naturally become more present. And mm-hmm. the present is known. Yeah. The present yeah, is known. Right. That's all there is. There's the known of yeah. this and the knowingness of this moment. The unknown, we literally have an unknown in every moment because I just have no idea mm-hmm. what question you're going to ask next. Yeah, I have that's no true. idea what that question is. So, so, yeah, we're both in the unknown, right? <laughs> it's petrifying. Oh, my God, what's she going to say? Oh, my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> but, you know, I, life, it's just the degrees of how much we panic or worry about that unknown of the future and how much we're just, um, you know, I, I, the one thing I'll just share because it was just so beautiful and, and cute, I was talking to a good friend of mine not long ago and I was telling him how I still had a little bit of trepidation about, you know, if this is a film going to work out, I'm going to be able to pay my investors back. Is it going to be able to support itself and be a success? Or, and he said, you know, he had his house burned down in the fires up in California and he had other challenges in his life. He's a very conscious man. He said, you know what, after going through all the things I've been through, I kind of say to the universe with this kind of little cute giggle, <laughs> what have you got next? You know, what is next? And I'm like, I'm really open to 
in his words, I'm, I'm open to the fascination of what you can possibly present for me. And, and I'm just curious, mm. a, a genuine, open-hearted curiosity about what the universe can unfold around me next. Yeah, there's something, there's something refreshing about mm. that. And simple. And there's, it, it, yeah, it's simple. And it just shows, I, I, I don't know, it shows, I guess, just how resilient we are. And a lot of times what we fear most if that happens to us, it's not as horrible as we would have thought it was. And there can be so much beauty and so many learning lessons and gifts that can arise from these hardships that happen along the way. I think Mark so, Twain said, I've spent most of my life worrying about things that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right? like, like, hell, that's me too. It's not like that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so I love that you touched on the fact that this film, like again, nine years, I was like, wow, that's such a long journey. And you said like there were, this would have been, there would have been learning lessons along the way. And when I was just pondering, talking to you, I was like, I wonder how this project, like it's called The Portal. And so one, I'd love to know how did you choose that name and why and what does that mean? But how was this project a personal portal for you? Mm. And how did it test your faith mm. in your practice and meditation in your vision yeah, because yeah. it's a big, you took on, it was a big undertaking. Yeah, it was. I, if I knew how big it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Thinking back now, if I knew it was going to take this long, it would be the... this difficult and financially uh, challenging. Yeah. I, yeah, one of those things, but it, it's here and it's obviously was meant to be and part of my journey in some way. I'll start with the first question, the name. It was originally called the stillness effect, which was mm-hmm. the effect, you know, we're playing on the ripple effect and the butterfly effect and the stillness effect yeah. with that. Because when one person starts to meditate and they ha- become less stressed and less angry and less overwhelmed and less sick, mm-hmm. then that ripple effect of that one person multiplies and seeps into the world around them, their friends, their family, their work. And if we start multiplying that, it really does have quite a significant effect. Yeah. Then things sort of morphed and changed along the way and the film took a couple of different turns and then... um yeah, the, the portal started to come through with this idea. And Nick, um, one of my uh, early sort of executive producers on the film, sort of planted this seed around this idea of the portal idea. And um, it it really resonated with me because, you know, this transcendent experience, which is really going through a portal. You know, we go through a portal. And there's other ways to do it. Plant medicine's a portal. You know, qigong can be a portal. Yoga can be a portal. For me, this portal into this realm of consciousness, this realm of wisdom, this realm of creative potential. It was just a powerful portal that I wanted to mainstream and bring out and invite people to start experiencing themselves. So that was the first part to the question. The second part is, you know, how is it, how's this been a portal for me? Um, it's really interesting. One of the things that it, it taught me a lot about is humility and surrender. Uh, you know, I started this project in a very different state than I am today. And I'm a lot more open to just being open to what unfolds and being less attached and less needy and less egoic. You know, it's really, it kind of like I said to one person, it's kind of like beating the shit out of my ego. (laughs) It's like, so I think, I think it's been really healthy for me in the difficulties that I've had to, to um, yeah, to be a lot more humble about just the way I live. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And another, just this, I kept getting this visual. Um, I'm not sure if you've, have you read Big Magic? No, I haven't actually. It's by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, I love Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. It's a great book. It's on creativity. And she talks about ideas 
and how ideas will go and they'll find certain people to be the carriers of these ideas. And if you're not taking action on something or if you're not working on it, the ideal will go to someone else who's ready to really bring it into the world. Mm. And so I just was thinking of like the consciousness of the portal and this movie that you, that you created and how you actually it sounds like you were attuned to what actually wanted to come through um, and it evolved over time and throughout the years versus staying stuck on what you thought it should be or what it needed to be. That's so true. You know, it's funny because we, we were pulling our hair out with the delays and this film was supposed to be out six years ago. Yeah. But the film speaks to crisis and existential risk yeah. and the world. I'm getting chills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, and the world, it wasn't relevant information six years ago. Uh, and so... You know, we're covering now AI and how AI could potentially teach us how to be unconditionally loving and how we as yeah. humans haven't quite mastered that art yet. So can an AI humanoid robot explain and teach us and show us the, an example of what unconditional loving is without judgment? So these sort of concepts, it's maybe it just like you said, there was something that it had its own energy force almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I got chills when you were talking about that. Six years, a six-year delay, that's a big delay. It's a big delay, yeah. <laughs> And so you've got to think it's for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for so. sure. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about the portal, about your message? Just, you know, it's a difficult time in the world on two levels. One is we've got a lot of challenges that are arising right now that are not in our expectation of what life will throw at us, you know, pandemics, you know, whoever had thought of that, and we've got climate change and all sorts of things. So one thing that we, while we're absorbing all of this information around us, one thing that we can do is to find solace and comfort and security in the quietness of being and to really emphasize the importance of meditation during turbulent times because in the eye of the storm there's peace and calm and that's where we want to stay in our existence it's not like we're ignoring the world it's not like we're turning our back on it it means we're having um sovereignty in that world where that world's yes presenting challenging situations but we we're sovereign in how we're responding to that right Yeah, that's so powerful. We can't control what goes on outside around us, but we can control how we respond at any given moment. Um, Okay, well, that and that that actually just raised one more question for me. (laughs) I just keep getting, I'm like, oh, it's like a treasure trail. We never know exactly where this is going to go and what's going to come out. Um, Oh, gosh, I lost it. What was it? Let me see. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm back. So that, so that brought up another question for me when you said it's in the silence where we can find solace. I know for a lot of people, silence can be scary and there, it can be uncomfortable because we're used to keeping ourselves so busy and so distracted. So we are disconnected from what's going on inside and we don't have to feel. And so what words of wisdom or advice do you have for people who are going through it's almost like when you start to thaw out, like if you're really, really cold, I, gr- I grew up in Northern Canada. Yeah. You like your fingers, you go inside, they'll start to thaw and it hurts a little bit. Yeah. Stillness itself is, is such peace and such lovingness and such gentleness. What we're afraid of is losing um, our perceived identity because stillness is the absence of your ego and where the ego is afraid of losing itself. And so, that just to start to identify, oh, that's my ego trying to trick me. 
from me not experiencing my absolute fundamental truth that I am mm-hmm. peace and calm, that I am loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And the ego will do a lot of things to try and distract you and hijack you from that innate nature of who you are. So the key is to start to identify, oh, look how my ego is trying to continue to remove me from my absolute truth. Because stillness itself is not fearful. It's yeah. the ego that's fearful. Yeah, that that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And with the ego, it has a bad rap in some ways, but then it's also essential to keep us alive. And so do you have anything else that you'd want to share about the ego and that whole concept? Because again, this might be new for some people. Sure. I know some very alive people that are egoless. Yeah. Uh, wow. So we don't. Wow. We, Interesting. Yeah, we don't need the ego to to be alive. It's about what our perspective of life and our you know our experience of life is. That's what we get to choose. It's like you choose your story. And right. So the ego is like an occupant in a building that's kind of like a squatter, and it's the thing that has you driven for pleasure and trying to avoid pain. It's the thing that's afraid of being seen or needs to be seen. And so Mm -hmm. we can definitely exist without ego or there's degrees to how much that ego um, plays out and determines our existence. So what we're seeing in the world, particularly with social media, is an acceleration and Mm -hmm. accentuation of the ego. And Mm -hmm. because of there's an expansion, like putting ego on steroids, we get all of the traits that are in the ego on steroids as well. And so that's why we're getting extreme levels of anxiety, polar, bipolarism, depression, because they're tenets and capabilities mm-hmm. of an egoic existence. But pure divine nature and awareness and presence, which is beyond the ego and egolessness, those traits don't exist within that, that experience. Mm-hmm. So um, the key to our meditation practice is to reduce the dynamic and influence of the ego. And to some respects, if we want to go that down that path and that far in our practice to go beyond even the occupancy of the ego in our daily life. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I've been misinformed. I forget where I read that, but they were like, you know, you need the ego to survive. And I was able to rationalize it in the moment. I'm like, I could see how it helps us discern against different things, but thank you for offering this different perspective. Mm. Um, and social media, I just want to share, you have a great social media account. <laughs> and so how can people follow you? How can they learn more from you? You've got the Stillness Project, the portal, share all of the ways people can connect with you. Yeah, I guess um, two, two main ways these days uh, is to go to Tom Cronin on Instagram. It's my primary sort of yeah, it's play, great. Uh, place of, of communication sharing. So Tom Cronin Instagram, my Tom Cronin website, which is again, tomcronin.com, and then enter the yep. portal. So the portal film everything can be found there under enterthePortal.com and enter the portal now on instagram perfect and i'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes from today's show so thank you so much for making the time to connect with me today and to have this really important conversation i really appreciate yeah, it's it it's great to be here. and yeah thanks everyone for listening in it's great to spend time with you all Wasn't that a really interesting conversation? I hope you feel as inspired as I do and that you are walking away from the interview today with information that's really going to help you live a healthier, happier, more stress-free, calm life. (laughs) And so I'm going to do a quick recap of some of the takeaways that really stand out to me. 
And these are the three C's that I've come up with. And I feel like it's very fitting because his last name is Cronin. Although maybe that's me reaching for some alliteration. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Number one, connection. When you meditate on a regular basis, you become and experience a greater connection with yourself. When you're more connected with yourself, when you're more in tune with who you are, with your natural instincts, with your inner, your inner voice, that inner guide, you're actually going to be more connected to the people around you as well. It's going to help you develop better connections and more fulfilling and deeper connections with the people who matter to you in your life. See number two create. It helps you create. When you are meditating, you're able to live in a place of creation where ideas can flow effortlessly, where you're aligned, when you, where you have more energy. When you're inspired, it's easier for you to take action because you have a clear mind, which actually, do you know what? There's four seeds. We're going to do four. So number three is clarity. Meditation brings clarity. Yes, clarity and peace of mind. And the final C is when you meditate, you are naturally more calm. You are in a state of relaxation. You have less anxiety. And obviously there are many more benefits to meditation, but that's my quick summary on the four that really stand out to me. Connection, creativity, or being able to access that place of creation and create from that calm state clarity, and then calm. And who doesn't want more of all of that in their lives? I'm raising my hand over here. Now, parting words for today. What's one new thing you're going to try moving forward? If you already meditate once a day, maybe it's adding another meditation into your daily routine. That's very popular, especially with transcending style meditation. If you have a spotty meditation practice that's very on and off like myself, this is an incredible opportunity and invitation for you to meditate on a consistent basis. Ooh, I bet meditation helps us be consistent too. So that could be the fifth C, consistency. Um, (laughs) So I know for me, I'm going to commit to meditating daily, even if it's five minutes doing that five minutes in the morning, because like I said, I'm kind of all or nothing. I'll go through these sprees where I'm meditating a lot and then I fall off the wagon. So I am officially getting back on and I'm going to commit to meditating five minutes a day for the next 30 days. Now, if you're brand new to meditation and you've never tried it before, or you've dabbled a couple times, but you're similar to me when I first started and you were wondering, what the heck is this? And am I doing this right? Use this as an opportunity and as a sign that meditation is calling to you to explore further. There are so many apps. There are so many you know, videos out there on YouTube, on Instagram, make sure you follow Tom. He shares a ton of incredible information. You can head on over to the stillnessproject.com where you can learn more from Tom directly. And yeah, check in with me, check in with me over on Instagram at Leanne Kalal and let me know what you plan on doing. I'm very excited to hear what your takeaways are and the commitment that you're going to make to yourself moving forward from today's episode. And look at that commitment. Is that the sixth C? Look at how it just keeps growing. I feel like this is very uh, representative of what meditation can do to one's world. It's expansive. All right. 
That's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and loved ones. And let me know, go leave a review. You can leave those five stars if you feel called to do that and leave a written review. Let me know what you've really enjoyed about this episode. I love hearing from the Glojo community. I'm super grateful that you're here. Thank you for tuning in and I will be back next week. I've got a really awesome soul bite lined up for you. All right. Ciao for now.